Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. This is your host, Dane Kramer. I want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you for downloading this. If you'd like to know more information about me or this podcast, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. It's all one word, thethinkingchristian.us. And there you'll be directed to my website. You'll be um, you'll find all previous podcasts there. We are now in season two. I believe this is episode number eleven of season two. Uh, you'll find all of season one podcasts there. Feel free to browse, download. They are free for the taking. And there's lots of other resources on my website, all free, all uh, for you to uh, enjoy or or not. But they're all there. And don't ever uh, hesitate to leave a comment. If you hear something or read something you don't agree with, something that doesn't sit well with you, uh, leave a comment. And that helps me understand, you know, uh, where everyone's at. It helps me understand uh, other points of view. Uh, I, I welcome those. I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not afraid to listen to them. As a matter of fact, you might be able to show me something that I didn't catch before. So uh, that's a good thing. So don't, uh, don't hesitate to leave any comments on the podcast or any of the material you find on the website. I would appreciate it. Okay, today's episode, I want to talk about my thoughts on baptism. This is a topic that occasionally um, comes up. It, uh, it occasionally, uh, when I say comes up, I mean in my life. It just comes around, the questions of it. And recently it did again. Um, I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But um, And when it does, uh, you know, I, I kind of have to walk through it again because it, it's something I, I, have, huh, I have given considerable thought to. Uh, it's perplexing in one way. Um, and I'm going to share my thoughts uh, about baptism. Now, you may disagree with me, um, and you feel free to do that. And I'm not saying that I'm right. I mean, I could be wrong. No, I'm not knowingly wrong. I'm not on here telling you something that I know to be a lie. Uh, I'm telling you what I believe to be true, and I'm going to try my best to back it up with Scripture to show you why I believe what I believe. But um, it's it's an interesting topic, and it's one that... I find myself in a dis, in disagreement with with a lot of Christians around me, um, and it's it's something. I, well, we'll just get into it. How's that? We'll we'll just get into it today, begin to talk about it, and uh, see where this uh, leads me. But let me first give you a little bit of background of, of me and and sort of my history with baptism, because I think that'll help kind of set the stage and let you know where I'm coming from. Um, I grew up in the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church. That's, uh, you know, in my, in my youth, that's the church that I attended. And when I was about 12 years old, I joined my local church and thereby joined the Methodist Church. Um, the pastor at the time, a godly man, he um, he has since gone on to be the Lord with the Lord. He died a godly man, but uh, he um, he you know had some classes that I attended and so on and so forth. And and the day that I joined the church, he uh, he baptized me. Um, I I professed my faith in front of the congregation and I was baptized. Uh, now the way he baptized was me was to dip his hand in a bowl of water. And lay that wet hand on my head. 
at the time, he didn't say anything about, hey, Dane, would you like to go to a swimming pool or would you like to go to a lake to be baptized? My guess is, being 12 years old and being invited to go swimming with my pastor, I'd have probably said, yeah, absolutely. I'd like to see you in a bathing suit. But I wasn't offered that, and I didn't think much of it, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I really didn't give any thought about it. I was baptized by a method which now we call sprinkling, you know, sprinkling water on top of the believer. And to be honest with you, I didn't think much of it. I mean, I was baptized. I joined the church. I professed Christ publicly as my Savior, and I started to walk with him, okay? Now, eventually, I became a Methodist pastor, at least a local pastor in the Methodist church. And for 11 years, I served um, as three small churches here in Somerset County. Now, as a, uh, a, a United Methodist local pastor, I was also required, or not required, but I was given the the uh, right or the the privilege. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. I was given the privilege of baptizing other people. And on occasion, um, there were some children brought to me, infants, to baptize. And I'll be honest with you, I, I kind of struggled with it. Well, even, even as a growing up as a teenager uh, in the church, I questioned why we were baptizing babies. And I had seen it happen, and I, you know, I didn't really know. And the, the explanation that was given to me uh, seemed like a valid one at the time. And I was told that the reason why we baptized babies is, well, look at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament times, they circumcised young Hebrew boys, and with that circumcision, they welcomed them into this community of faith. Therefore, how much more would we welcome not just boys, but also boys and girls, into this community of faith, this church, through baptism? You know, if we could do it in the Old Testament and... Uh, through circumcision, how much more through the, in the New Testament through baptism? And to be perfectly honest, that sounded like a pretty good uh, argument, and I went with it, and I did, uh, again, during my time as a pastor, I did baptize a number of babies. Um, but I will admit there was always a part of me. There was just always something there that just... Well, it didn't, it didn't feel right. There was just something, I knew the arguments, but there was something that didn't line up in, in my own thinking, I suppose, that uh, bothered me. Well, then, eventually, I, I really started to read the Bible apart from my Methodist notes and apart from any, really, any notes. I just started to read the Bible to see what it had to say, not just on this subject, but on many subjects. And in time, I began to reach some conclusions that were different than my um, Methodist friends. Um, and about a year before I stepped out of the pastorate, I had made the decision that I could no longer baptize babies. I just didn't feel that this was uh, something that I could do scripturally in, in, in good conscience. Uh, as it turns out, because we had really a small congregation at the time, um, I didn't have a lot of babies being presented for baptism. Matter of fact, after I had made the decision not to baptize uh, babies, none were presented. Now, if they had been, I decided that what I was going to do is say, well, hey, we're not going to baptize your baby. We'll we'll dedicate your baby. How, how's that? We'll dedicate your baby to the Lord through a service. And I'm sure most people would have been fine with that, uh, just knowing my congregation. 
But uh, again, that didn't happen. Uh, I ended up stepping out of the pastor for that and other various reasons and so on and so forth and stepped out. Uh, and all of this while, my theology was really changing because I was just really being exposed to the scriptures uh, in a fresh kind of way. And I began to to reach some conclusions that I think were very different than the way that I was brought up and, and some of the uh, other ideas uh, about the church. Now, um, before I stepped out of the pastorate, I, I had uh, remarried, and, and my wife at the time, she was a, a member of the uh, a Christian church in town. Uh, the Christian churches, if you don't know, it's considered a non-denominational church, although in a, in a sense it's, a, it's, a, it's about as close to a denomination as you can get without being a denomination, I suppose. Um, they belong to a, a movement called the Restoration Movement. Uh, you might have heard of the Christian churches or uh, Church of Christ churches or Disciple of Christ churches. All of these, these kind of three names uh, form a, a brotherhood of churches. Uh, they're careful not to call it a denomination, and in some senses, they're they're not a denomination. They don't have a hierarchy, and so on. But anyways, that's a little beside the point. Uh, my wife was a member at a Christian church, and I I had stepped out of the Methodist church and was looking for a place, and just really began to attend church with her, and I liked it. Um, as I started to be exposed to this church and their ideas, I realized they actually were putting into practice many of the ideas that I was just developing. You know, for example, they they didn't use creeds, and I had sort of you know, I, I was done with creeds. Uh, that's a whole other subject, but you know, just just things like that. Um, uh, they didn't have a, a, a bylaws that 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 ran their church, and uh, you know, a discipline, so to for, uh, so to speak, as to how they operated. And I was kind of done with that too. And so, I found in this this restoration church, this this Christian church. Um, really uh, a mirror of, of the way I've been feeling about things. And so I, when I fit in, um, or as I joined, I really felt not enjoying. I'm not a member there. I'm not really into membership. <laughs> that's, a, that's another subject for another date. Um, but uh, I, uh, I I started attending, and I, I just kind of felt like I, I fit in. However, as I started getting active there, I realized that they had a view of baptism. Now, they agreed with me in, in that uh, infants were not to be baptized, but um, they had some other – they also baptized only through immersion. In other words, they had a tank there, and they would baptize people in the tank, and they still do. Um, and I was good with that too. I thought immersion is a, is a great way to do baptism. But as I started to really learn about the Restoration Movement and its churches, I realized that they had a real distinct – the distinctive view of baptism that I didn't particularly embrace, nor do I embrace it to this day. Now, I do want to say this, because some of my own congregation or those people who go to this congregation may be listening. My particular church and the pastor at that time were great people, and they still are great people. The pastor is still a great guy, uh, and they're not as hardcore, in my opinion, as the denomination or the or the sisterhood brotherhood of churches they belong to some of them are very hardcore about this and i've read some of the teachings that come out of this movement and they take a position that my own particular local congregation i don't think is is, is really a hardcore about now what is that position that i'm alluding to and that's what i want to talk about um, many of the, the Christian churches, the restoration churches, take a view of baptism in that it's it's essential. Baptism is essential to be saved. Now, 
in a way, I kind of believe the same thing. I kind of believe baptism is essential because if Jesus commanded us to be baptized, then we should be baptized. You know, if, if we're followers of Jesus and Jesus tells us to do something, like such as in the Great Commission, if he tells us to do that, then we ought to do it. Um, but they had a sort of a different view on, on how baptism was essential. Uh, Acts 2.38 in, in Peter's very famous sermon, this is a, this is a kind of a, um, a cornerstone verse in their theology con- concerning baptism. Uh, uh, Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And so many in that movement, the restoration movement, taught that baptism was essential because in baptism you are forgiven. In baptism, your sins are washed away, and it's in baptism that you get the Holy Spirit. And um, I have to say that I disagree with that, and and I I don't take that kind of distinctive view of baptism that they take. I, I did disagree with it then, and I continue to disagree with it now and occasionally it does it does uh, come up so I want to talk a little bit about baptism today from how I understand it um, and again com- feel f- completely free to disagree disregard disregard everything I say as well as disagree with it because who am I I'm just Dane Kramer the thinking Christian podcast guy <laughs> I have no authority and I have no reason um, to uh, to convince you that I'm right about anything. Um, so just listen, I guess, is all I'm inviting you to do. Um, now, let me talk about baptism a, a minute here so we can catch up in this whole thing. Um, a lot of things that we see in the Bible, let's say in the, in the Old Testament, we, we see... Uh, certain concepts or we see certain things in the Old Testament and we we find out later in the New Testament that they're that they're filled or fulfilled in something else they become sort of a uh, an anti-type in the in the new in the Old Testament and that type is is something else in the New Testament uh, they are a shadow in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we find the substance of that shadow, if that makes sense. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. For example, in the Old Testament times, we have, of course, the temple. Um, Solomon erected the first temple that was destroyed, and, and then later Herod's temple was erected that stood at, at Jesus' time. Um, and then the temple was a place of worship. Now, in the New Testament, in, in, in the church era, we don't have a temple anymore. Um, that temple is the body of Christ. It's it's the church. The church, not, and I'm not talking about the church building, but the church, the, the, the people who belong to Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ and, and that is fulfilled. So the temple has its fulfillment in the New Testament in the body of Christ. Um, in the Old Testament, we had the sacrificial lamb um, that is given as uh, or, or made as an atonement of sins. Now, this we, we clearly understand in the New Testament that sacrificial lamb is fulfilled in Christ. He was the final and perfect sacrifice. And so again, all of these Old Testament um, antitypes were filled in the New Testament. The types were, were something else. And I hope you can understand that. So as we come to baptism, a lot of people think, okay, well, if we have baptism in the New Testament, what is its predecessor? What, 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 it's, what is its precursor? What came before baptism? that we might be able to understand it then more clearly, which is a a very fair and good question to ask. Now, I've heard 
many Christians give different examples um, as to what they believe is the precursor to baptism, to New Testament baptism. Um, for example, I've heard it suggested that some of the washings in the Old Testament, um, that Aaron and the Levitical priesthood were involved in the ceremonial washings, that they were the precursor to baptism. Uh, I think it's said this way because, of course, water was being used, and water is often used in New Testament baptism, and so the correlation for many is is what they think to be obvious. The problem with seeing the washings as a precursor to baptism is that no New Testament writer tells us that that's the case. So if it is the case, we have no one with authority saying, like Paul or Peter or John or, or no New Testament writer or Jesus himself says that these Old Testament Levitical washings are fulfilled in baptism. Now, if we had that, then and we'd be we'd be done. We'd know what it was. So we don't have any any um, writings in the New Testament suggesting that these these washings are again fulfilled in baptism. So I'm going to kind of set that that one aside. Um, now I mentioned earlier in in this podcast that the Methodists believe, and not just the Methodists. Oh my goodness, this is a very common view among any church that that baptize um, infants, such as the Roman Catholics and the the Presbyterians do. Um, oh my my goodness, I could go on and on. There's all kind of Anglican churches as well that baptize uh, infants. And they often believe that baptism's precursor, that its Old Testament type, is um, circumcision. Okay, and again, this was an argument that I encountered very earlier in my ministry. In fact, very early in growing up in the Methodist Church, that I was informed that that circumcision is is sort of the precursor to baptism. Now, again, um, we don't have a New Testament writer telling us that that's the case. Um, and as a matter of fact, in this particular instance, we have in two places. A New Testament writer, and it's Paul in both places, places, it's in Colossians chapter 2 and in Romans chapter 2, Paul tells us that um, the New Testament equivalent of circumcision is something called circumcision of the heart. Uh, so in both those passages, uh, Paul draws the parallel and tells us that its fulfillment is something called circumcision of the heart. Apparently, a, a circumcision without hands, uh, it's a spiritual circumcision. So, I, I don't, and, and in either of those places does Paul tell us that baptism is its, you know, uh, if it's fulfillment, uh, rather something else. So I don't believe that um, that earlier argument that I encountered is a correct argument. I don't believe that one can sustain an argument that circumcision is now fulfilled in baptism. You have no New Testament writer telling you that. As a matter of fact, we have a New Testament writer telling us that circumcision is filled, fulfilled in something else. So the question still remains, do we have an Old Testament type that is later fulfilled in the New Testament in baptism? And I believe the answer is yes, but I think for a long time we've been looking in the wrong place for it. Um, now, just stick with me, all right? Just, just kind of keep your mind open on this because it might be hard to wrap wrap yourself around as I talk about this. In the New Testament... The very first figure, prominent figure that comes on the scene is John, John the Baptist, okay? Um, 
John is considered the greatest prophet. Uh, Jesus uh, refer, or, you know, calls him that. Um, but John is seen as an Old Testament prophet. John's ministry occurs completely before the New Testament era uh, is introduced. John actually dies in prison. Or actually, I should say he's he's martyred in prison. Um, Herod has him executed, beheaded, and Jesus' ministry is still just really getting on. I mean, it's not, it's, it's just gaining momentum. He certainly hasn't offered the New Testament covenant yet. Uh, he hasn't died yet. And so I see John the Baptist as, a, as an Old Testament prophet, yet he's written about in the New Testament, or at least he's, um, yeah, that's where he's introduced. We do have some Old Testament prophecies about him coming, uh, such in, as in Malachi, but we uh, we don't see John until the New Testament. Now, John's ministry is marked by one thing, and that we call him John the Baptist, not because he belonged to a Baptist church, but because he baptized. Uh, that's how he made his splash, if you will. Um, John baptized. Um, and, uh, you know, whether or not baptism was in or around at the time of John, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I've heard it both ways. Some believe that he introduced baptism. Others believe that he picked up something from um, the rabbis and, and, you know, kind of reinterpreted it. And I don't know. And I don't really care. That's, that really doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned. John began to baptize. And he, uh, he assigned a certain... Um, uh, definition to it. In Matthew chapter 3, as he's preaching and people were, were gathering, he told them, he said that um, I baptize, I, he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. In other words, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance. But then he said, but someone's coming after me, and I'm now just paraphrasing, someone's coming after me who's, I'm not even qualified to loose his sandal. Now he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John said, I am baptizing with water, but there's one coming, and he, and I believe you know who the he is, it's Jesus, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So I believe there in, in the work of John, we have the predecessor to New Testament baptism. New Testament's baptism's precursor is found also in the New Testament, but at an Old Testament prophet. John, John's baptism. John's baptism, I believe, is the precursor to New Testament baptism. Now, um, John, and, that, and that's because John tells us. I mean, John tells us himself, I baptize with water, but one is coming and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, what you see with me doing in water, Jesus is going to be doing in the Spirit. Uh, and Jesus actually said the same thing in, in Acts chapter 1. He echoed, he said, you know, truly John did baptize in water, but not in many days from now you'll be baptized, talking to his disciples, in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus also affirmed that, I believe, that uh, the, the Christian baptism was a fulfillment of John's baptism. Uh, John's baptism uh, was a baptism that took us up to the New Testament era, up to Christ's, uh, the beginning of the church. And then it was fulfilled in a spiritual kind of baptism. Jesus said, uh, John said, he will baptize. He didn't say it in water, but he'll baptize in the Holy Spirit. John says, I'm doing this in water. Someone else is coming and he will do it in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus also said the same thing in Acts 1. John did it in water and you, meaning his disciples, will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He didn't say in water again. He said in the Holy Spirit. Um, 
So I believe that in the New Testament we have a spiritual baptism, uh, and, and the, the baptism of the church is really a fulfillment of John's kind of baptism. John did it in water, but in the New Testament era, in the church era, I believe that uh, we are talking about a spiritual baptism. Now, one might wonder if um, I'm saying that New Testament or, or, or church baptism is not to be done in water. You know, it is something I've thought about, uh, but before you pick up your rocks and throw them at me, I'll say, no, I believe water is used, and I say that from two passages of Scripture. Um, we have two cases in the book of Acts where we know that Christian baptism or, or church baptism or New Testament baptism, if you will, was done in water. Uh, the first occurs as Philip uh, catches up to an Enoch, uh, uh, um, eunuch, eunuch, uh, to a eunuch riding a um, chariot, you might remember, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip catches up to him, and he shares the gospel message with uh, the eunuch, and at some point, the eunuch sees a body of water. So, hey, well, hey, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So apparently he saw that, and it sounds like uh, that's exactly what happened. Philip used the water to baptize this uh, eunuch. And the second example is found in Acts chapter 10 when uh, Peter uh, is visiting the household of Cornelius, uh, the first uh, significantly Gentile convert being made. And um, as Peter witnesses this man being filled with the Holy Spirit, apparently he speaks in tongues, um, Peter said, who can forbid water that these may be baptized? You know, so Peter mentions the use of water. Now, those are the only two examples in the New Testament that water is mentioned in baptism. Uh, after that, it's not mentioned. It's actually um it's just not mentioned, um, but they're baptized into Christ or they're baptized into Jesus' name. Jesus said, um, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all other references really don't deal with water. They deal with being baptized into Christ Jesus. And that um, that's the baptism that we find uh, the rest of the, of the uh, New Testament. Water is not mentioned uh, very often in, the, say, for the book of Acts because um, I, perhaps the Holy Spirit is kind of de-emphasize water and emphasize, in fact, um, the, uh, the Holy Spirit or being baptized into the name of Jesus. You know, one of the most interesting uh, stories or accounts that we have concerning baptism, I believe, is found in Acts chapter 19. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, Paul makes it to the area of Ephesus. And there he finds uh, a, a small group of uh, what he described as disciples, believers. Um, I guess that's how they might be described. They're believers. Um, and it's kind of interesting. I don't know what exactly what Paul sees, but it, Paul sees something lacking in their lives. I, I don't know, you know, I, mean, I can guess, but I'm not here to guess on that. I, I can guess what he probably didn't see, but he saw something apparently lacking because he asked them, hey, wait a second, uh, into what were you guys baptized? You know, he, he's, he's a, like he's perplexed as he meets these people, but he sees something um uh, you know, different. He said, were you, uh, he said to them, uh, did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And their response, or when you believed is what he said, and their response is, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, wait a second. Then into what were you baptized? Because 
if if you haven't heard about the Holy Spirit, I mean, that's what you should have been baptized into. You should have been baptized into the Holy Spirit. And he said, so then well, what were you baptized into? And they said, oh, into John's baptism. Now, what was John's baptism? Water. John baptized into water for repentance. And so these people had not been baptized into the Holy Spirit. They had not been baptized into Christ Jesus, I believe. But Paul, Paul said to them, yeah, John did baptize with water. Or he didn't actually say water in, in Acts 19. But he said, yeah, John did even baptize with a baptism of repentance, saying that they should believe on him who would come after him. And it says when they heard this, they were baptized. Now, it didn't say they were baptized in the water. Rather, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I just find this an interesting account because here Paul had encountered people who, uh, you know, had been baptized only in the Old Testament kind of precursor way, had not yet received New Testament baptism. And when he discovered that, he said he baptized them into Christ Jesus. They were brought into Christ Jesus. You know, occasionally I'm asked by people, um, hey, I was baptized when I was 12 years old or something. And, you know, and since then I've I've slipped away, I've backslidden, I've, you know, I haven't followed Jesus. And now I'm really interested in, in um, you know, following Jesus again. And should I get re-baptized? Well, you know, I'm not... I'm not real excited about encouraging that. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, my response is you seek the Lord on that. Uh, you talk to God about that and see if that's something that he's leading you to do. I do from time to time hear people. I know people who have gotten baptized the second time. Uh, that's between them and God. I don't believe that it's really necessary. I mean, I'm talking about water baptism. They get They get back into the water again. Um, and I think that a lot of times the reason why they do that is they're looking for some sort of experience to have, you know, something to remember by, or maybe they're hoping that this baptism will give them some sort of spiritual experience. And I'm not trying to discourage them from an experience uh, per se, but um, again, I, I you know, I, I, I kind of leave that with the person. You know, if, if you were baptized once already, I think it's sufficient. Just start walking with Jesus. You know, I mean, I'll lay hands on you if you want me to, and we'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit right now if we want. You know, that would be my response to someone who would, who would suggest or you know say I'd like to get rebaptized. Uh, and occasionally, I've, I've talked to people who were baptized as an infant. Um, you know, they had nothing to say about it. They weren't even cognizant of the event. Their parents took them to church, or maybe a Catholic church, or a Methodist church, or a Presbyterian church, or wherever. And and as an infant, they were baptized. They even have a certificate to show that they were they were baptized, and they'll ask me, you know, should should I be baptized again? Um, typically, I I, I kind of lean towards yes, you know, you know, since you don't even remember that event, since you had no say in that event. Um, but that's between you and God. I, I am not going to interfere there. Um, I, I really, you know, I'm going to leave that between you and God. I'm not going to step in the middle there again. I. I typically say, yeah, why don't you get baptized? You know, because now you can make the choice to do it. Before you didn't make that choice and now you're able to do that. But um, you know what? You don't have to please me. You know, I'm not the one you have to please. It's it's God you have to please. And so you talk to him about that and you see you see where God wants you to lead you on that. But I certainly do believe that you should be baptized into Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's what happens at baptism. Uh, incidentally, uh, water uh, immersion, where we go under the water, I think is a very, very powerful way of really 
depicting what baptism is about. Uh, Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 6 where when we are baptized, when we go under the water, it's like we are buried with Christ and his death. And then we come out of the water, it's like we are arise to new life. We are risen with Christ and we are in Christ. And I think it's a very, very powerful way of of t- telling us what baptism really is. Um, and so, you know, I recommend immersion as a, as a method. However, I'm just not too excited about methods, you know. Um, I know that there are some people who are upset uh, by the fact that I was sprinkled at age 12. Uh, and some people, I've, I've been told, you, you need to get baptized, Dane. Uh, you know, you need to, you need to you go under the water. <laughs> Even though I'll tell them, you know, well, I've been underwater many times since then. I've gone swimming, I've taken baths, I've, you know, those kinds of things. I've been underwater many times, if that would please them, and it usually doesn't. They want me baptized. They want me underwater for a particular reason. And I believe that there's almost a superstition regarding baptism. Uh, I believe that my baptism into Christ Jesus did, in fact, take um, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that the fruits of the Spirit have uh, have developed and grown in my life, and that He has marked me as His, uh, and so I uh, I kind of refuse to, to do that to please someone else. I'm only uh, searching to please God, and you know that's what you need to do. You need to please God. Uh, you need to uh, follow Him and see what he would have you do with your life. Um, Baptism, I believe, can be an important point in a person's life. Uh, You know, going under the water uh, symbolizes uh, going into Christ and rising up uh, in in new life. And I believe that this is, uh, it's it's an outward symbol of of, of a spiritual reality that's going on inside of our lives. And I think that is what is most important. But that's my thoughts, and that's all I can share with you, is just how I see and feel about this topic. I know I didn't hit every scripture on the matter. It would probably take five or six podcasts to walk through every one, and maybe someday I'll come back and rejoin it, especially if someone disagrees and wants me to deal with a particular passage of scripture. So with that thought, I'm going to sign off. I hope um, you found this enlightening in some way. And uh, until the next time on the Thinking Christian Podcast, I'll see you.